we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us out of, uh, and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out those who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, To put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God, he will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the cherubim that was in the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this is the stone that is to be a witness against us, for it is heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua took the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Kerebenachra, which is the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders of Joshua, who outlived Joshua and have known all the works that the Lord did to Israel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today and the chance to study your word. As always, we are grateful to have it in our language, but we need your spirit to light it up to us. And so we pray now that you would help us to listen well and not to be informed, but to be transformed. We pray across our city that your word would go out clearly and you would make your word effectual. And so that in our sister churches, uh, you would use your word, your spirit in the lives of those gathered there, some for salvation, others to further their sanctification. Father, I do pray for Matt's trip and I pray that uh, the work that he and Susan will be doing there that will be beneficial for the advance of the gospel, not just through them, but in them. Father, I pray that you will grant the prayers that we pray. We pray for Natalie and Nate and Allie as they'll be here too, that you would show yourself strong to them. And should any burdens arise while Matt is out of town, that we would bear those together with them, for them. We continue to pray for Jake Metcalf's mother and her journey with cancer. Father, that you would strengthen and provide for her and that you would allow your peace to guard their hearts and minds. Thank you for your history of provision in their journey, especially as related to that and her life and how you've sustained and shown yourself strong. Pray now, Father, help us as we turn to Joshua. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If it's your first Sunday with us, we uh, finished our series through Mark, and should the Lord give us next Sunday, we'll start our series in Ecclesiastes. But in between these two, 
Uh, We've done a little two-part here in Joshua, and today's the second part of Joshua. Uh, And if you're holding your place there in Joshua 24, go ahead and turn back to Joshua 1, just to get a reminder of what we saw last week. But uh, I do hope that you will uh, come, especially next Sunday, as we start Ecclesiastes and then have our life group launch Uh, It'll be a chance for us to encourage one another, especially after Ecclesiastes has been so depressing. So we'll be able to mutually encourage one another as we share that meal together and spend time in the Word. When we last left off in Joshua, it says this in Joshua 1 verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We talked about decisions that were made. Moses, the reason that Moses is dead was because of his disobedience to the Lord. Instead of calling water to come out of the rock, he tapped the rock. And as a punishment of that, he was not allowed to lead the people into the promised land. And so Moses, as the Lord describes it, disbelieved and and his action, his sin was because of disbelief. Disbelief then was to his detriment. We see God's decision. Moses has been disciplined, but he's still carrying on his plan. And the one that he's going to do that through is Joshua. And so he's encouraging Joshua three times, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And in doing so, He's calling Joshua to believe, believe that I'm with you, believe that I will do what I'm telling you I'm going to do, that I will carry out my plan, and most important, I will be with you. And we took great comfort that there's not a time that God asks us to do anything without promising to be there with us, strengthening us to do it and to follow through. And so where we left off, uh, the question is, is Joshua going to believe God? And move forward with the people of Israel who were no prize themselves. A bunch of grumblers and malcontents. Uh, Does he move forward with them? Or will Joshua disbelieve and shrink back and fail to do what the Lord is calling him to do? I'm happy to report to you that as you would read through, which I'm sure some of you did this week, Joshua 1 through 23 in your spare time, that Joshua chose obedience. He chose to believe God and he moved forward. And as we listed last week, God showed himself strong time after time throughout the book of Joshua, doing incredible things on behalf of his people and his plan to give his people a place uh, where they could dwell. As we pick up today, I want you to turn to Joshua 23 
And we're, we're going to see then on the back end of Joshua's life, uh, he is chosen to be faithful and he is still calling others to do so as well. Beginning in Joshua 23, though, in verse 1, here's what it says. A long time afterward, and it means after they've crossed that Jordan and after they've dispersed into Canaan, after they've fought battles and the Lord has fought battles on their behalf, after they've been there for some time, it says this, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies and Joshua was old and well advanced in years. I got tickled about that this week. I was thinking as you, as we grow older, we should just tell people, I'm not old, I'm advanced, I'm advanced. In what? Years. That's what I'm advancing. All right. So Joshua was old, but here's what he does. He summons all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and says to them, I'm now old and well advanced in years, and you've seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who's fought for you. Behold, I've allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from all this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. The last two chapters record Joshua's last words to the nation of Israel. So in the beginning, God is telling Joshua, be strong and courageous, go forward, I'm with you. At the end of Joshua's ministry, Joshua is telling the people, be strong and courageous. God has proved himself faithful, and they've not made it all the way through. There are nations that remain in the promised land, and what he's saying to them is, move forward. Don't settle. Move forward in all that God has promised you, and don't turn to the left or the right, just as God had told him. He passes on to them, follow through, and don't mix and worship their gods. It will be to your detriment. If you would worship any other God than the God who's been faithful and who has been present with you and who has provided for you. And so he knows I'm not going with you. I'm not going to be here to see it all the way through. But God will. God will be with you. Move forward. Joshua 24 then records his final words to all of Israel. And where I want us to start is in verse 14. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
as we begin today, when you and I come to the end of our lives, will we still be serving the Lord? And not only will we still be serving the Lord, will we still be calling others to do so with us? We see Joshua's beginning of his ministry and his his leadership opportunity. We see that he chooses to trust the Lord and obey. And then as he comes to the end, we see the consistency. And in our day, when we've seen pastor after pastor disqualify themselves, this is no light manner that we see Joshua being faithful all the way through. If your confidence, though, is that you will be serving God when you come to the end of your life and calling others to do the same with you, if your confidence is in you, then your confidence is misplaced. My greatest confidence that I will be faithful all the way through is not in my keeping of his commands, but in his keeping of me. That he holds us fast as we sing. That he enables our perseverance. And so my greatest hope and prayer is not that I wake up very strong and courageous every day, but that God enables me to be strong and courageous, to trust he is with me and he will see us all the way through. I will say there's not high probability that we will be those who finish serving the Lord and calling others to do the same if we're not doing that now. If we're going to be those who come to the end of our journey and are faithful, then let us be those who are faithful now, who even now call others, come and serve the Lord. Serve the Lord alongside me and with me. I wonder if you were to consider to whom or what would you say you're most committed? And then I wonder to whom or what those around you would say you're most committed. What we say and what they say may not be the same. To whom or what would you say you're most committed? I read an article this week on Desiring God's website by Marshall Seagal. His article was called How to Almost Follow Jesus. And he had just three main points. The first one is follow without your heart. It's how to almost follow him. Just like the crowd that engaged out of curiosity and seeing the miracles but weren't fully engaged in Christ himself. The second Strategy, he said, was fall away when the following gets hard. That when it gets tough, that we would run, or when earthly comfort is, is gone, that uh, we begin to question and fall away from him. And then he said the last strategy then to almost follow Jesus is to hear the command, follow me, and drag your feet. And to drag your feet. And then he makes a summary statement. Following Jesus always means leaving something. You can't continue to be all you were and simply add him into your routine. But whatever you're asked to leave behind, even the most precious relationships, will pay all next to all that you receive now and forever. True followers do not fit Jesus in and around their other relationships and priorities, but make him their first love and highest priority and the lens through which they see and enjoy all else. With that in mind, I've put the passage in a sentence for you at the top of your notes there. Because of who he is and what he's done for us, we should fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Because of who he is and what he's done for us, we should fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And it's this that Joshua's calling us to, serving the Lord, committing to him, that I want us to think through uh, through the lens of uh, just sort of turn it like a diamond, to look at its different facets or sides as we consider 
this commitment. And in the notes you have, our choosing to serve the Lord, first of all, is a logical commitment. It's a logical commitment. In verse 14, Joshua says, now, therefore. And as any of us know, as we do good Bible study, when we see the word therefore, we, we ask what? What is it there for? So whatever Joshua is calling us to is founded on what he's already shared. And so as he says, therefore, there's something, there's some reason that we should be compelled to serve. I want you to go back actually to verse, uh, to chapter 23, go back to the previous chapter and look at verse 14 as we consider serving being a logical commitment. Here's what, here's what Joshua said to them in verse 14. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. He reminds them. I love that. I love that he says, you know in your hearts. He says, I'm about to die, but you know God has kept every single word. Not a single word has failed. He is trustworthy. As he picks up then in chapter 24 in verse 1, this is what's said. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Such a simple statement. But he literally fed them for 40 years. 40 years, day and night. They didn't have to worry about food, right? Such a simple statement, but filled with such depth of provision. Then verse 8. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. 
You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. I love that all God calls us to do, any commitment he would ask us to make, it's only after he's demonstrated his clear commitment to us. His provision, you walk through that text and you can see God's grace at work. Who of Israel deserved such good things from, from God? They're grumbling and complaining. Their lack of contentment, they did not deserve grace. That's why all of it is grace. You see his power, his protection, and his provision. And as I've put on your notes, his commitment to us is for our good, but his glory. He's the one who has won the battle. He's the one that's provided. He's the one that swept over Egypt. Our choosing to follow him then is in response to all that he's done for us. And as Joshua calls them, he says, look at all that God has done for us. And in the short period of the history that they had recorded at that time, he, he lists, here's what God's done. But you and I know there have been further demonstrations of God's commitment. And I want us to take a moment to let a few of these passages just walk over us because God cannot demonstrate more clearly his commitment to you and I. And I want us to start in Romans chapter 3. So hold your place in Joshua. We'll come back. But for just a moment, I want to let some passages wash over us as God demonstrates his commitment to us. He wasn't just committed to a group of people in the wilderness. He is committed to his people in every age, and he has shown his faithfulness. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, this is what Paul writes. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now watch this. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul very simply says, God is full of glory. It's displayed brightly, and we have all fallen short of that because we've all chosen rebellion. God hasn't gone away from us, and we've gone away from him. We have gone away from God. And God is the one who provides a solution for it. And what he does is he puts Christ forward as the means to cover that rebellion. The word propitiation, meaning that atoning sacrifice or the absorbing of God's wrath, God puts Jesus forward. And it's not cosmic child abuse that he's forcing Jesus to do something he doesn't want to do. Jesus tells us in John, I lay down my life. So the Father and the Son are together in making possible our righteousness. You can't be further committed than this when those who've gone away from you, you find a solution to heal that relationship and you do so at great cost to yourself by the very giving of your son, putting him forward as that propitiation. Turn to Romans 5. Turn to Romans 5. Beginning in verse 6, this is what Paul writes. 
For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. Such great word, great news here that the gospel is not for we who are really good. The gospel is great news for we who are really bad. He says, you know, some people would die for another, maybe even a good person. But here's who God dies for, the ungodly. God dies for his enemies. And he doesn't just talk about his love. He demonstrates his love in that Christ died for us. And now reconciling enemies, bringing them back into relationship. And more than that, that we've received this, he says. Nothing we've done. Nothing that we have achieved. You cannot demonstrate commitment more than the fact that you would lay down your life for enemies, sinners, the weak, and ungodly. You should rejoice that those are the adjectives used to describe before therein lies our hope. Turn to Romans 8 then. Romans 8. For all you math people out there, Romans 3 plus Romans 5 equals Romans 8. We'll come back to Romans 8 later, but just for a moment. Verse 31 and 32. Paul says... Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then watch this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's demonstrated his commitment in not just giving us reconciliation, but giving us all that comes with that. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. This is what I love. God doesn't do the minimum to just get us in the door. He goes beyond that and will adopt us and then graciously give us all that comes along with that. So God's not just kind of committed to get you into heaven and just barely get you in the door. He's committed to see it all the way through to make you full heirs. I want you to turn back now to, to John. Sorry for the disorder. I wanted to start with Romans. Turn to John 6. And I realize we don't always do Bible drills. So if it's your first Sunday with us, we don't always do Bible drill going back and forth. But I want these texts to wash over us for a moment. Because you know why? Some of you may have walked in this room today and you doubt God's commitment to you. And you doubt it based on circumstances in your life. You doubt it because you can't see him or hear him or feel him perhaps currently. And you're wondering, is God really for me? Is God really committed to me? Because things don't seem to be going the way you thought they should. I want to let his word wash over us to remind us it's not God's commitment we should worry about. In John 6, beginning in verse 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, 
that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Tara and I, Tara met a young lady at the apartment complex uh, next to our homes uh, there in Baton Rouge. Our houses and and the apartment shared a pool together. And Tara met a young girl that had been abandoned by her parents. Literally came home from school and they were gone, left as a, a teenager. She has every right to doubt the commitment of her parents. You come home from school and they leave you and no, no sign of them. When we met her, she was older and no interaction from that point. What John 6 should wash over you with is this. God isn't committed to you for a little time. God is committed to you for all time. God has not begun a work in you just to take it back. God has begun a work in you that he will see all the way through. And Christ says, I will lose none of all that the Father gives me. He will raise all of them on the last day. This is great news for you, especially if you're like me and you chose some disobedience this week. In the end, my confidence in being raised is not my perfection, but Christ's that he will raise all of us who've yielded our lives and followed through. So let me close with one more text all the way to the book of Jude. If you get to Revelation, just go back. One little, one little blip, book of Jude. I apologize for those of you who are bored with all of God's commitment to us. You like move on to point two. In Jude, verses one and two. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Watch this. To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now watch what he goes on to say in verse three. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude writes not to encourage you to contend for the faith so you will be kept. He says we contend for the faith because we are kept. That we are kept for Christ Jesus. We're not just called, but we are kept. Going back to Joshua now, going back to where we were in Joshua 24 Joshua says then, now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. He says, serve the Lord. Therefore, based on all of these promises, which is why Paul in Romans says the same thing in Romans 12. Therefore, after all of that truth in the first 11 chapters, therefore, by God's mercies, We offer him our whole life. This is what we do. This is the proper response. So as we're being called today, we're not being called any less in our day than Joshua was as he stood there the last time that he would gather with the household leaders and uh, those of Israel and calling them to choose to serve the Lord. We are not called any less in our day, nor has God demonstrated any less of a commitment to us than he has to Israel. So our commitment to the Lord to serve him is a logical commitment. Matter of fact, at the end of Romans 12, 1, 
when Paul says that we give our lives to him, he says, this is your logical worship. This makes sense because of who he is and what he's done. And as I shared with you though, as I considered this week commitment, it's not God's that I doubt. Sure, we may come in circumstances at different times where we wonder, God, are you there? I've been writing on that commentary in Esther as well. And there's no doubt, God, are you, are you there? You're not audibly speaking. There's no prophet. There's no Red Sea being split. And yet it's not on all of these other things that we trust his presence. It's on his promises. It's not on fuzzies. It's on faith that he is here. And he cannot demonstrate his commitment to you more than he has in putting his son forward to take your sin and his wrath so that you might have his righteousness. No husband, no wife, no child, no parent will ever be able to demonstrate love in a clearer way than God has. There's no clearer commitment and it makes complete sense. Yeah, you should serve the Lord. You should serve the Lord. As we do so though, Joshua helps us see that it is a personal commitment. That's the next facet of this in verse 15. He says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods or their Amorites in the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, we'll choose who you will serve. The choice is personal. It's an individual decision that no one can make for you. Children, your parents can bring you to church, but they cannot choose for you to walk in Jesus. You must choose to walk in Jesus. Husbands, your wife may be faithful in her walk with Jesus. It doesn't count for you. Or wives, your husband may be faithful. It doesn't transfer. It's not contagious in that way. We don't get credit for the faithfulness of others, only the faithfulness of Christ. And it must be an individual decision. And so as Joshua stands, he says, the generation that preceded you, they've made their choices and that's done. Now it's your time are you going to choose to serve the Lord in the time that he's given you? And it is a personal choice. I read this week, someone said, being born in a Christian family does not make you a Christian just like being born in a bakery doesn't make you a donut. And I know I've done uh, excellent research to attest to that. Uh, so as we consider this choice, some will walk out of this room and they will choose passionately to walk in Jesus and Teenagers, I hope it's your parents. But that doesn't mean that it counts for you. It is a personal choice that we each make and each generation has to make that we will choose to follow the Lord. Third truth is it's an exclusive commitment. The word serve appears seven times in verses 14 and 15. Serve, 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 serve. It just repeats. And so Israel is being called to decide. One thing I do want to clarify for you, perhaps you remember in your study of Joshua that, hey, choose to serve the Lord, choose to stay whom you will serve, the Lord or other gods. That's not actually what Joshua says. Here's what Joshua says in verse 15. He says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, meaning foolish, dumb, it's the wrong thing, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in, the land, in whose land you dwell. The choice then that he's giving him is if serving God isn't the right path, then choose which between these false gods you want to serve. 
the ones on the other side of the river or the ones on this side of the river, both of whom have proved ineffective and non-existent. It doesn't make sense. I love what Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentary writer writes. He says, you must choose. If not Yahweh, then take your pick from these dunghill deities, whichever ones you want. Uh, choosing between pagan gods is an absurd choice, which is Joshua's whole point. If you're not going to choose to serve the only God who exists, it doesn't really matter which of these others you serve because it's all foolish. And Joshua says, no matter what any of you do, my family and I, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's important because, you know, sometimes even in faith families, living the Sermon on the Mount is countercultural. And no matter if all the other families at Trace lose their minds and choose not to serve, I hope there will still be families who say, we're going to keep serving the Lord. He's the only one that exists. He's the only one who, who can respond. Uh, Matt, uh, Mitchell uh, tells the story of when he was doing summer missions in Malaysia that he met a girl who uh, the family, when one of the tsunamis was coming through, sent her back in to get the household idols, to get the household gods, right? They're fleeing a tsunami, but go get the gods. Take them with us, right? If you have to go get a god, that god cannot do squat for you. All right. If you have to rescue the God, he cannot rescue you. Right. I just imagine what did they do that night with those little idols and carvings? Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for what you did. And you know what those idols did? This. <laughs> and if they moved it, then they did this. The idol did nothing for them. And we are always foolish if we reject the living God for one that does not live. Joshua says, you got to choose. And it is an exclusive commitment. You can't do this halfway. You can't do it in part. But as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. If you want to know what it looks like for a family to serve the Lord, I don't have time this morning to take us there. But would you write Deuteronomy 6 in your notes? Because Moses says, I've got some instructions for you when you go into the promised land. Here's some things you want to do with your children, some things you want to teach them. You want to teach them that God reigns above all and the proper response is to love him, that you love his words and they're diligently on your heart and you're diligently teaching them to your children. And then in time when your children say, hey, why do we do this? Then it'll give you time to say, because God. Because this is what God has done for us. This is who God is. So if you want to know the instructions that he was given, and as Joshua says, hey, we'll serve the Lord. You want some specifics on what that looks like? Deuteronomy 6 is there. But we're called to serve him in faithfulness, and it's exclusive. And we know it's exclusive because he says both in verse 14 and in verse 23 in our text, if you're going to serve the Lord, then put away the gods that your fathers served, in verse 14, beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And then in verse 23, he says, then put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. We cannot serve God and other gods. He says it's an exclusive commit. Put them away. It's all or nothing. Israel is to give themselves completely to Yahweh. He has not failed to give himself completely to us in this sense. And so questions that I think I put in your outline there. Are we those then who put away what pulls us away from God? Was there anything that you chose to embrace this week that pulled you away from God? And if so, did you put it away afterward? Did you think back, how did I get here? And then find a way to blow up that bridge so that you don't repeat that. Did you seek out accountability? 
Are we those who put away sin or are we those who put up with sin? The commitment is to be an exclusive one, no compromise. I thought about, we sang in the very first song, which not all of us did, except for usually our guests and a few of us. Uh, that in the first song we sang, only you, right? Uh, that all of us and only you. I think about when I was growing up, we used to sing a hymn. I surrender most of myself, right? I surrender for the good things. No, no we would sing, I surrender all. My question is, how many of us perjured ourselves in that? I was thinking, and even as we sang that first song today, only you. And knowing this text, I was forced to examine, is that true in my life? Is it really only him? And is it all of me? This is what we're called to. Put away these other ones. There is no other. There, there's no partial faithfulness. There's no partial sincerity. We will be slaves. The question is, to whom will we be slaves? Romans 6 says, as we are slaves to Christ, we grow in righteousness. But in being slave to all others, we're slaves to wretchedness. The world, the flesh, the devil, they only want to devour and destroy us. God, however, is the only one who loves us with our best interest in mind. So every time you're tempted to choose that sin, perhaps even this afternoon, just remember, that sin never has your best interest at heart. Your flesh and its craving does not have your best interest at heart. Only God always has our best interest at heart. And that's why, as Mark Dever said this week when we were in Louisville, in holiness, there's freedom. In holiness, there's freedom. The next aspect of serving the Lord that I want us to consider is it's a cautious and serious commitment. So Joshua lays it out. He says, hey, choose this day who you will serve. Now look at their response in verse 16. They said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it's the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he's our God. And that seems like a great response. They're like, we're going to serve the Lord. Here's all that he's done for us. So therefore, we're going to serve the Lord. Now Joshua has his response in verse 19. You're not able to serve the Lord, right? I feel like it would be mixed emotions if I were in that crowd. You called us to serve him. We've said, yeah, we're on with it. And now you're like, you can't do it. You're not going to be able to do this, right? And he says, you are not able to serve the Lord for he's a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good, which is just what he told them at the end of chapter 23 as well. Their response then in verse 21, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. So he calls them to put it away. And then in verse 24, the Lord, our God, we will serve his voice. We will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put it in, a, put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, he took a large stone, set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. 
And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. We sung the hymn often, Here I raise my, what is it? Ebenezer. This is, this is what it's doing. It's a stone of memory. So every time we look at that stone, we remember, yep, we committed to God there. That stone was not an end in itself. It was a means to the end of remembering. Remember, there's nothing holy about that stone. It just meant to move them to obedience, to remind them and move them to obedience. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. Verse 28, so Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. It is a cautious and a serious commitment that we see. The people say they're going to follow him. But Joshua says, please count the cost. Don't get caught up in the fervor of this moment. The last time I'm here speaking to you and I'm laying out all of this, don't get caught up in that. Understand what you're really doing. If you say you're going to commit to God, then understand it is a serious commitment because he's holy and God will not be mocked. And which sin is not serious to him? So don't lightly mouth your profession of faith. Don't you realize the sort of God you're dealing with? He's holy and jealous. Don't come to him thinking... Though it makes him sad to see the way we live, he'll always say, I forgive. Or as Davis has said, Yahweh is not a soft, cuddly Santa in the sky who drools over easy decisions during invitation hymns. He's like, understand what you're committing to. If you're going to follow the Lord, then be serious about it. Alan Lockerman serves in Cleveland, Tennessee. He, he's written, churches are filled with people who made a decision but never really meant anything by it. Monday through Saturday, their lives do not count at all for the kingdom, but they show up on Sunday for church. Joshua's saying, consider this. If you're going to serve the Lord, go all the way. And if you're not going to follow the way, don't follow at all. Don't, don't waste his time. Don't waste your time. I would like to submit to you, though, when Joshua says you are not able to serve the Lord, Joshua is actually right. And I would confess to you today, on my best day, I've never fully served the Lord. That's why, once again, my hope is not in me, but in Christ. Listen to Romans 8. I won't make you turn there, but listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So as Joshua says to them, you, you can't do this. Ultimately, he's right. And what Paul says, the answer is, Jesus has done it, so that the righteous requirement of the law has been filled in us. So that in Christ, it's as if we have fully served the Lord. Can you imagine this? One day, we who are in Jesus... One day we will be freed from sinning and we will be there because Jesus gives us credit as if we fully served him. And then in heaven, we will be able to fully serve him. Won't it be a glorious day when we no longer have to say, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me, Lord. Won't that be a glorious day? And we certainly want to strive to minimize those days and walking in the spirit according to his word and good accountability with brothers and sisters helps us minimize those days. But we will still have them. And in the end, my greatest boast will not be that I have served the Lord, but that Christ has fully and completely done the will of his Father. And in this, God is pleased that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Last two aspects I want you to consider. It's a continual commitment He's calling them to serve the Lord that day. 
But it is a daily choice. He didn't mean just do it then. As you go on in our text, look in verse 29. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. He'd have been on the Today Show back with the, what was the weatherman that always did schmuckers and the birthdays? Yeah. (laughs) Joshua, he's 110, right? So he dies and they bury him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Israel, watch what they do. They served the Lord all the days of Joshua. You want to know how that played out? Then all the days that remained before he died, they served him. And then all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work the Lord did for Israel. They continued, not just on this day when they said, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Stop yelling at us. We'll do it. Get out the rock, right on the rock. Every day, after Joshua was gone and until all the elders who'd known with the Lord. And that's important too. One of the reasons that they kept walking in faithfulness is there were people who kept saying, here's what God did for us. Here's what God did for us. You, you see in Exodus as it opens, there arose a, a generation in Egypt that knew not Joseph, right? We never want to be those as Amos indicts, those in which the word of the Lord's been forgotten, They remembered what the Lord had done and they kept walking. So it wasn't just a one day choice. It was an every day God grants us. We're going to continue to walk. I have found that it's not just a daily choice. Maybe you're with me. You found it's a moment by moment choice. I may have some strong mornings and some difficult afternoons. And then we go home and it's family time. Homework, right? Um, There are ample opportunities to choose whether I will lose my mind or choose to beg the Lord. And unfortunately, there's a mix. I'll let the children testify to which they prefer. But we, we know that it is a continual choice. And here's what you know. It's not just that one day, but each day. And each day, the Lord's mercies are what? New. Each day, we have what we need to continue to choose to serve the Lord. And then, you know, the other great gift that he's given you, besides his spirit and his word, are his people. I'll know that we're really maturing as the Lord wants us to when Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10 are realities in our midst. Hebrews 3 says that we should remind each other daily of sin's deceitfulness so that we'll know that our life groups are really getting it. When in our life groups throughout the week, we remind each other, choose Christ today, not sin. One of the best blessings, Mr. Jim Bush is sitting here on the second row. He's our elder chairman Every day he sends us scripture. Every day he texts us the word to just let it wash over us for a few moments. Hebrews 10 then says, give thought of how you can stir one another on in Christ. You can know how healthy we are as a faith family when Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10 are realities that we're reminding each other each day, not just on Sunday when we gather in here and sing together and consider the word together, but when we scatter We've not forgotten each other or the Lord. And we say, choose Jesus today. Choose to serve the Lord today. Don't don't choose to sin. It'll be the same as it was yesterday. How'd that work out? All right? Don't be deceived. Choose Christ. And let me give thought, how can I intentionally serve? You can know the health of a congregation when it's not just pastors and elders who are thinking through how to stir each other to Christ. 
But when the people understand this is what it means to not just go to church, this is what it means to be the church, right? It's a continual commitment. And then lastly, it's an urgent commitment. Very simply, he tells them, choose today. Choose this day whom you will serve. He says in verse 14, now, therefore, fear the Lord. Delayed obedience is always disobedience. And delayed obedience is presumptuous that you will have time in the future to get things straight. We should be gripped each day with gospel urgency, not only for ourselves, but all whom, he will, all whom we will be around that day. And so if there's an area of your life, perhaps where you've been putting off obedience, I would say to you what Joshua says, choose today to obey. Whatever that area is, if it's seeking reconciliation with someone, if it's putting away a specific sin, don't presume that you will have tonight. Don't presume that you will have the morning. Choose this moment. Choose right now to fully serve the Lord in every area. Some interpreters, as they come to Joshua, they uh, compare Jesus and Joshua through sort of a physical fulfillment and a spiritual fulfillment. And, and they do so in these ways. Joshua, they note, is promised a covenant of prosperity, protection from God's enemies, and success in all his endeavors. Jesus, however, gives up physical comfort and protection in order to serve as our final sacrifice. Joshua leads the conquest of a physical land through the physical war, but Jesus rules the spiritual kingdom where we fight with spiritual weapons as sojourners and exiles. And there's some truth in that. And it's good for us to remember that in this world, we're not necessarily promised physical safety or success. And it also reminds us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But Jesus isn't just providing spiritual victory. There is physical. There's more to the story, or as Paul Harvey would tell us, now the rest of the story it's not finished. There's another act coming in which Jesus will return and he will physically as well as spiritually defeat all of his enemies once for all. And unlike the wars of old that led only to more bloodshed and misery, Christ's global judgment and victory when he comes will truly be the war that ends all wars. And we will enter into the promised land, which is no longer a little strip of land in the Middle East, but is now expanded to include the whole earth. And then Christ himself will wipe every tear from the eyes of our new resurrection bodies as we live securely in his presence forevermore. One greater than Joshua has appeared, and he will appear again. And on that day, you will for sure see what Joshua told his people. The battle does belong to the Lord. The battle does belong to the Lord. Let me close with one final exhortation. I told you in Joshua 23, he tells them, go forward. Drive out the rest of the nations. The Lord will be before you. They would never do it. They ultimately never achieved all the boundaries that God gave to them. And as a part of that, it would be to their detriment, ultimately leading to their disobedience. What I don't want to be is one who is grateful that God has offered me justification, but I forsake all the blessings that come with sanctification, moving forward in all that he's promised. I don't want to be one that says, I'm good, you got us here. He's calling them always, go forward into the full plan that I have. And I hope in your serving the Lord, you're not content with just where you are. I hope if there's disobedience, if there's fear, 
as we saw from Joshua 1, if there's disbelief, that all that would be replaced and that you would move forward in courage and the strength of the Lord and you would choose each day to serve him, not kinder, but fully. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for this moment just in this room. That there's nowhere else that we'll probably be this week. We won't see it on social media. We, we may not see it on the news. But to just have verses of your commitment to us, to read them and consider them and to be reminded that anything you ask us to do is based on what you have done for us. And may that truth wash over us. I pray that if there are ways in which we are not serving you, and it's not exclusive, that we're, we're trying somehow to serve you and gods that don't exist, that you would help us to put them away. Anything that pulls us away from you, would you help us to put that away? Would you help us to, to serve you, counting the cost that there are sacrifices that come from this? God, thank you for the consistency that we see in Joshua. And in chapter 21 and in chapter 24, he is called to faith and he has chosen it. And he is still calling others to do the same. God, I pray that you would grant that in our lives. That you would help us all the way through. That your grace leads us all the way home. And in our final days, we would still be choosing to serve you and still calling others to do the same alongside us. I thank you, Father, that ultimately our confidence is not in that we're going to be able to walk out of this text and serve you perfectly, but our confidence is that Christ has. I pray for those that are in this room that have never repented and believed. They've never yielded their life to Jesus. May they hear the good news of the gospel in all those verses that we read that you have sent Christ to die not for the godly but for the ungodly not for the strong but for the weak and not even for your friends but for your enemies God there is no greater news in our world than this and so I pray that you would allow the gospel to go forth in our lives the gospel would advance in us as well as through us Use your spirit and your word. Use our brief study in Joshua to help us love you more, to worship the God who is with us and provides and promises, and then to be faithful when we go from this room that you go with us and that we would choose no matter what anyone else does. As for me and our family and faith family, we will choose to serve you. We pray for the grace to make this true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing in response to the truth this morning.